Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. So for this episode, we're going to focus on the economy. I met this guy, EJ and Tony, who's the research fellow, uh, Regional Economics and Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation at their gala dinner in D.C. a couple weeks ago. It was a great event. I really love Heritage and the work that they're doing. And Dr. Kevin Roberts, who's the president of it, they, they just do really great work. And we were having a conversation. It was so interesting. And, and I was like, you got to come on the show. And we need to talk about a, a lot of these big issues that we were discussing. Yeah, there are a lot issues, right? Even in, you know, coming up with questions and, and doing some research for this, it's like, oh man, there's just there's a lot to discuss, right? I mean, let's be honest, the economy sucks. We're all feeling it. Everyone's taken a hit besides maybe Joe Biden and his, you know, powerful friends and, you know, big businesses and big banks. But the little guys are suffering. The centralization that's happening, whether it's, you know, big government, big tech, big banks, big business, is pretty scary. You got a lot of people at the helm of all things powerful who hate us. So what does that mean for the country and how hard it hit our Americans right now? We're going to get into all the big economic issues facing our country, how the Fed's handling interest rates, what it means for you, what it means for the country. Also get into why Joe Biden is punishing responsible homeowners. He's imposing higher mortgage fees on borrowers with good credit and reducing fees for those with bad credit. But that makes sense to Joe Biden because he hates hardworking Americans. He hates Americans who are just trying to do the right thing. And that pretty much sums up his time in office. So we're going to get into all of this with EJ and Tony with the Heritage Foundation. Stay tuned. You know, EJ, I was going through what to talk about today. It's pretty depressing when you look at all the, the issues that we face, all the economic issues. It's really like, you know, where do you begin? What are the big issues from your perspective well, I'd say two things right off the bat. Number one is that the average American is just substantially poorer today than they were two years ago. Full stop. There is no way around that. You know, you can play with the numbers all you want, but at the end of the day, most families still are worse off, right? They can't buy as much uh, gasoline as they could before. They're putting groceries on credit cards. Uh, many people are at risk of losing their homes as interest rates continue to rise. 
and we're starting to see the layoffs kick in and the job growth slow. So on the individual level, people are worse off. But then when we start looking uh, at the macro level, in other words, when we start looking at system-wide problems, uh, now things get even scarier because now we're into situations where we're coming to realize that the entire banking system, quite frankly, has been built on sand for the last several years. Two questions from that. Well, the first, is there a number to, to be put behind when, when we talk about, you know, worse off and the financial aspect of this? Certainly. You know, the average American family right now uh, effectively is $7,100 poorer than when Biden took office. And that comes from two chief sources. Number one, it's just simply the fact that although wages have risen quite dramatically, actually, you know, when Biden says that part of the story, he's telling the truth. Wages have gone up very fast, but prices have gone up even faster. The dollar's lost 15% of its value since his inauguration. And so because because prices have gone up so much so much faster than wages, people have lost what we call purchasing power. So the average American family's uh, a weekly paycheck, right, has gained about two hundred dollars in just the last two years, but it buys a hundred dollars less stuff. So now on top of that, if you start looking at interest rates, which have risen pretty dramatically to, to try to combat inflation, that is causing borrowing costs for families to go up equally dramatically. And so everything from mortgages to auto loans, from credit cards to student loans, and everything in between, any kind of debt is getting more expensive. And that represents another direct cost on families. So you throw all that together and it's over $7,100. I mean, that's just devastating. Look at the median household in this country. That's more than a month's paycheck. You know, I, I can't imagine what families are, are going through. I mean, I, I do pretty well for myself, not as much as what the internet says I wish. It's not even a fraction of what the internet says I, I make. But but nonetheless, I do well for myself. I, I, you know, I live alone. I, I can't imagine. And I even notice it in terms of just everything. You know, you go to the grocery store, everything is just so much more expensive. So my heart breaks for families right now who have more people to take care of uh, than just, you know, me as an individual. How much of that, you know, you just went sort of collectively through a lot of issues and a, a lot of financial pains that people are facing. How much of that is driven by the Biden administration? Oh, almost entirely. So if you look at inflation, for example, why did we why do we get uh, inflation? Because the government spends, borrows, and prints too much money. That has been the mantra of this administration in a nutshell. It has been trillions of dollars after trillions of dollars that they have just thrown at all of the nation's problems, real or perceived, or or just entirely fabricated. Some in some cases, quite frankly, and as a result of that the dollar has lost value. And as it does, it robs people of their purchasing power and transfers it to the government. And you know that's one of the things that I hope listeners can really take away from this. Inflation is a tax. Now, it's a hidden tax because Congress didn't vote on it. The president didn't sign it like a normal explicit tax. But inflation is still very much a tax because if you want to know what is the definition of a tax, it's hard to come up with a better definition than something which transfers money from you to the government. And that's precisely what inflation has done and always has done. You know, one thing that concerns me is just the, the centralization we're seeing. I mean, it seems like now we've got, you know, big government, big tech, big banks, big business, all the big keeps getting bigger. The smaller, the decentralized are getting crushed, have gotten crushed. We're left with 
a bunch of people who hate conservatives at the helm of all things powerful in the country. Jamie Dimon might be an exception to that, you know, although I, I still wouldn't call him a true blue conservative in a lot of ways, uh, although he he has been a, a pretty good fighter against things like ESG. But nonetheless, you know, ever since Dodd-Frank, which was supposed to protect small banks and keep the big banks in check, we have seen the number of banks in this country decline. We have seen the small banks go under and the big banks become more powerful. And you know, Dodd-Frank was just the latest in, in a long line of regulation that did the exact opposite of what it was sold as to the American people. And, and now this, again, it I mean, whether or not it's the straw that breaks the camel's back, we'll have to just wait and see. But it is just another example of a big bank gobbling up a small bank, all in the name of doing something good for the American people, in this case, stabilizing uh, the banking system. However, the bailout of SVB was supposed to have the same effect. And yet here we are several weeks later dealing with another crisis. You're much kinder about Jamie Dimon. I don't trust him. But it seems like this is all with intention, right? I mean, it's hard to fail this badly without it being intentional. And it seems like what the intention is, is for us all to be impoverished and reliant upon the government and only a handful of people in the country and in the world are the ones with the money and the power. Well, you know, it's really scary when you start looking at how that is becoming reality, precisely what you just said. How many people can't afford to own a home today and probably never will be able to own a home and they are stuck in this perpetual cycle of renting. And then you start looking at all of the retirees today who have lost so much in their 401ks, so much in their pensions, uh, people who will likely have to come out of retirement and start working again. Wealth has just been evaporating before our eyes. And again, you have to ask the question, where is all that value going? It's going to the government. It's going to a handful of wealthy elites who, as you said, are going to wind up controlling everything or at least a controlling stake in everything. Well, And then what's really sad is you have so many Americans who are have worked really hard, have try to invest well, but they're being punished. I mean, you've got the Biden administration punishing responsible home buyers right now. Why is he punishing responsible home buyers? What are your thoughts on all that? Well, I think it's just the latest in a long line of examples of how this administration has waged a war on merit, quite frankly, and how Biden and his cronies in government and also in big business uh, are, are striking out against those American ideals that you can lift yourself up by your own bootstrap, that you are not bound by the class you were born into. You know, your, your immutable characteristics did not determine your destiny in this country. But if you start listening to the rhetoric of this administration, it's precisely the opposite of those American values, where if you are a person of color, let's say, you necessarily have to have a hand up or a handout from the government. Otherwise, you just can't make it. It is the soft racism of low expectations. Well, and, you know, it's also punishing, you know, you look at the student loan heist that he was trying to do, which is unconstitutional. I mean, you've got people footing the bill for, you know, folks who made some poor decisions and their college decisions, right? 
So it's like you've got hardworking people getting hosed when it's not their responsibility. Right. You know, in the student loan case, those who were responsible, who either didn't take out loans or who took out loans but paid them off, or maybe those who never even went to college but learned to trade and have, have been working since they were 18, all of those people are punished. And the people who are getting the handout here, who are getting that wealth transfer, are those who recklessly borrowed too much and now can't pay it back. I mean, and inflation, going back to that, that's another great example. People who save their money, they're watching their savings lose value. And yet people who are massively in debt are seeing the real value of that debt decline. And so this administration, again, it is like they have a war on merit. It's like they want to punish success and reward failure. You mentioned people having to come out of retirement, you know, financially. We're also saying things like Social Security and and Medicare are obviously heading towards insolvency. But, you know, no one wants to address it politically because it's toxic. So, you know, what do we do? Well, there, there's two things. One, you can actually have, you can actually find people who are willing to expend the political capital uh, to make the changes that are needed, or you alternatively can just let the whole thing collapse in on itself. And and then who knows what happens? I suppose it's a coin flip, uh, whether the Ponzi scheme gets bailed out and becomes even bigger, or whether it finally goes away at that point. And, and I don't use those words lightly calling these things Ponzi schemes, but, but that's what they are effectively, whether it's social Security or, or Medicare or a whole host of, of these other programs, you know, they are sold to the American people as somehow you are saving for your own retirement, but that's not the case. You are paying for today's retirees, and tomorrow's payees are going to pay for your retirement. And if we don't continue to have very large population growth in this country like we did decades ago, then the Ponzi scheme is going to collapse. And, and that's what we're seeing today. Quick commercial break, more with EJ and Tony with the Heritage Foundation. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, 
and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, House Republicans have passed a, a debt ceiling hike. It doesn't look like Biden wants to play ball at all. You know, what should people know about this? You know, how does a debt ceiling fight impact them? And, and what should people know? Well, there, there's a couple of things here, Lisa. One is is don't pay attention to to this hyperbolic rhetoric from Biden, from Janet Yellen about how, oh my gosh, the nation's going to default and it's going to be the end of the world. Please, th- nothing could be further from the truth. If we bump up against the debt ceiling and there's no agreement to increase it, then the government can't borrow and therefore they need to only spend as much as they're taking in. And they have, they're taking in plenty of money, by the way. They can pay for all of the Treasury bill, bonds, and notes. In other words, all the debt obligations of the government. There's enough money to enough revenue to cover that. There's enough revenue to cover payments on Social Security, Medicare, veterans benefits, etc. So all those essential services will be covered. But there's not going to be enough for some of the frivolous spending, and the government will have to cut back, cut that back. In other words, it's a partial government shutdown, which we have had plenty of times before. We even had one under President Trump, and the world didn't come to an end. In fact, most Americans don't even notice when we have these partial government shutdowns because they're so uneventful. Probably the most eventful thing to actually come out of a uh, a partial government shutdown was the Monica Lewinsky crisis. Should more Americans care about our nation's debt? Oh, absolutely, because it's unsustainable. And, And I don't think people realize that if we continue on the trend we, we have, are currently set, that we're going to end up like Greece. At some point, the bill comes due, right? And if we don't actually start paying for things today, then we're going to have to pay for them in the future. And the longer we kick the can down the road, the more austerity, the more severe austerity we're going to need. You'd mentioned Greece. Carry that out for the listener. So, so what does that mean to become like Greece? What would that mean for their daily lives? What would that mean for their income? What would that mean for how we would be impacted here in the United States? Well, in the case of Greece, you don't have your own central bank, right? So they, because they're part of the EU, they didn't have the option of what the Fed has done the last several years, where they just print money to cover all of these deficits. And so they're essentially monetizing the debt, meaning they're imposing a hidden tax instead of an explicit tax. But what Greece had to do, and what we will probably have to do eventually as well, is start expo- uh, imposing higher explicit taxes, whether that's an income tax, sales tax, property tax, you name it, taxes are going to have to go up. But on top of that, the government in Greece, and eventually the government here too, will have to drastically cut back their spending. And that includes cutting back uh, benefits on some of our most popular programs, things that we already mentioned, like Social Security, like Medicare. Uh, what do you make of the Fed's handling over interest rates? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it, it, are these private or public airwaves? Because it's going to depend on what kind of language uh, I can use right now. <laughs> uh, you could, you know, EJ, you need to drop an F-bomb. I, I will hear it from my mom, <laughs> but you're more than welcome. So. It is difficult to find an institution on Earth today who has 
who has just messed things up so badly as this Federal Reserve. I mean, they essentially, in order to finance those trillions and trillions of dollars of, of government spending that was unfunded, the Fed just printed the money. And in doing so, they kept interest rates far too low for far too long, and they created this systemic risk where banks uh, had their balance sheets flooded with low interest rate treasuries. And what that did is, is it exposed them to the risk of rates going up because in terms of bonds, rates and prices actually move in opposite directions. So as rates have gone up, the prices of those assets have gone down. That means the banks essentially didn't have the assets they thought they did, except that there were no uh, high yielding assets that they could even buy in the first place because the Fed pushed rates everywhere so low. So the Fed created this problem, and now the Fed is having to raise rates hard and fast in order to, to make up for lost time and in order to help fight the inflation that they themselves helped cause in the first place. So it's very much the, the arsonist playing fireman here, Lisa. And, and now we're at a point where because of, of fractional reserve banking, which essentially just means when you put a dollar on, on deposit at a bank, the bank doesn't actually have to keep that dollar in the vault. In fact, they lend out almost all of it as fast as they can. And that system works as long as it doesn't. In other words, as long as all the depositors aren't trying to get their money at once. Well, with higher interest rates and inflation, what's happening? A lot of depositors need their cash because the cost of living has gone up so much. In other words, they're withdrawing deposits and they're doing it across the system. And we've seen this in the big banks, for example, for over a year now. Uh, in the small banks, we've seen it much more recently and much more rapidly. And the result of that is the banks all of a sudden need to raise money because they lent out your money. And so they're selling off these assets. But these are the assets that we just mentioned which have lost so much value because the Fed raised rates after keeping them so low for so long. So basically, the Fed created this giant mess. They, they set the, the, uh, the fuse, if you will, on this bomb, and it's beginning to go off. In fact, it's not just individual banks, Lisa, that are in this terrible predicament where their assets have lost so much money. It's the Fed itself. People don't realize the Fed's balance sheet has lost a trillion and a half in value. I mean, it takes a special level of incompetence to lose that kind of money when you literally have a money printer in your basement. Has the economy reached the bottom yet? No, no, not not by any means. You know, we are definitely going to to enter into a recession again later this year. I say again because we already had a recession in the first half of of last year. I, I frankly don't care anymore uh, what the professional pundits say about redefining the word recession. You can redefine words all you want. Want, whether it's recession or, or woman or take your pick, you can tell me inflation's transitory. How did that work out? Right? These people have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, they're trying to manipulate words for their own political purposes. But the fact is, we already had a recession, and now we're going to have the second part of, of the double dip, essentially, where we had a brief period of growth, and we're going to be right back into the economy shrinking again. You Look, you can't spend, borrow, and print trillions upon trillions of dollars and not expect negative consequences. I, I just don't know when we forgot that. 
Are we going to hit a depression? That's going to depend entirely on what the government does from here. I mean, we certainly can. It's not outside the realm of, of possibilities right now. If the Federal Reserve continues to manipulate interest rates instead of just letting markets reach their natural levels, then a depression does become inevitable. Absolutely. So it's going to take a tremendous amount of, of political will uh, to stop the spending in Congress and to stop the manipulation of the money supply as well to prevent that from happening. Is there any way out of all this? Uh, not one that doesn't involve a tremendous amount of pain. You know, uh, again, you know, this, this in a lot of ways is like alcoholism. Okay, When you print a bunch of money, for example, and you give all this money to the government to spend, the good effects come first and the bad effects come later. If everyone started drinking and immediately got a hangover, no one would drink too much because the hangover would come first and then the buzz would come later. But it works exactly the opposite of that. The buzz comes first and it's not until the, the next morning that you wake up and regret everything that you just did over the last 12 hours. And so as a consequence of that, uh, if if you want to look at this in terms of, of monetary policy and, and government action, what's happening here is that we're waking up with the hangover, these bank crises, inflation, you name it. We're going from one crisis to another, and the solution the government continues to impose is more of the same. In other words, it's hair of the dog. They're reaching for the bottle again. And every time they do that, they make the eventual episode of sobering up that much worse. The sad thing is, I understood every single part of that. <laughs> Hair on the dog, done that. Thinking to myself, I wish the hangover would hit first. It would have sold me from being an idiot at times throughout my life, my younger years. So uh, I'm picking up what you're putting down there. <laughs> Does Joe Biden hate working Americans? It, it, it just seems like I don't know any other explanation for the pain that he is inflicting on people who are just trying to work hard and make an honest living. Come on, man. You think he hates people? I sure do. He, like, he hates working people. I thought he came from a from a working class household in Delaware or Scranton or wherever the heck it was. I, I don't know. The story always changes, like how he got cancer from the oil slick on his windshield growing up. Or I don't think he remembers. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I'm not so sure he hates people. I think it's more so he just loves himself and, and he loves himself so much that that he doesn't care uh, what kind of pain he inflicts on others, probably in order to get any kind of selfish gains that that he can. I, I think that's probably the case for most politicians. They're just too in love with themselves uh, to see beyond themselves and to see how their policies are actually affecting other people in the real world. We're going to take a quick break. More on the economy. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. 
I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a push and talk about a central bank digital currency. Talk about what that would mean for Americans and, and why should people should be concerned about it. We need look no further, Lisa, than, than China to see some of the things that, that they're already implementing over there. For example, one of the things a central bank digital currency does is because every single dollar, every single cent, in fact, has a unique digital fingerprint, it makes every cent traceable, trackable, taxable by the federal government. And they can do things like put an expiration date on your money, for example. So in China, when you get paid with these digital tokens, these the central bank digital currency, you literally have a certain amount of time in which you can spend your money before poof, it's gone. Not the, you know, it, it's taken away and locked in a savings account. No, no, it literally just evaporates. That's it. And so as a consequence of that, I mean, this is a level of control that Orwell couldn't have even dreamed of, to be quite frank. The government can tell you how much you can spend, how much you have to save, where you're going to invest your money. So I'm sorry, you can't invest in ExxonMobil because they produce too much fossil fuels. You have to invest in Solyndra or some other green energy boondoggle, right? And same thing with when you go to, to spend your money. I'm sorry, you've bought too much gasoline this week. If you want to drive around anymore, you can use your money for an EV charging station, let's say. So uh, again, this is control. Uh, this is, and this is not conspiracy, by the way. The things I'm talking about are either already implemented or they are from publicly available memos that central bankers around the world have written and published. This is not you know, E.J. and Tony coming up with a crazy idea here of what could potentially happen. These are the advocates for a CBDC telling you what they would like to see happen with by implementing uh, you know, these technologies. It, it is crypto, but instead of being decentralized, it is centralized. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The idea of buying a house and living in like the woods somewhere like off the grid and off the land <laughs> is starting to sound pretty good to me uh, these days. You know, how much of these financial woes that we've been discussing trace back to COVID when you look at inflation, when you look at the rise of centralization, you know, when you look at global supply chain issues? 
how much of it can be traced back to decisions that were made during COVID or at least at the height of it? Well, I like to say it doesn't trace back to COVID. It traced back to our response to COVID, right? It it wasn't so much the virus that has a a 99% survival rate for the vast majority of the population. That's not what what wrecked the economy. What wrecked the economy was the government-imposed lockdowns, the draconian measures uh, that told people, no, you can't go for your cancer screening that will save your life because of a virus that can't kill you. So we're going to lock you home and effectively kill you ourselves by letting your cancer return. But you can thank us for not letting you get the virus with a 99% survival rate. So, I mean, the government's response, again, was, was just so draconian and so frankly useless that it cost far more lives than it pos- could have possibly saved. Uh, and and I, I will say, though, as bad as it was, a lot of the economic problems would have simply resolved themselves with the expiration of those boneheaded measures we put in place in 2020. But the problem is that when Biden got into office, uh, those measures not only stayed in place, but many of them became even worse. In other words, Biden This is so ironic, I think, Lisa, that Biden, with the benefit of hindsight, could see everything that President Trump did right, and he could also see all of President Trump's mistakes. And mysteriously, he chose to ignore everything Trump did right and instead double down on the mistakes. And the results have been catastrophic. Now, I love Trump, but my biggest beef with him is ceding the economy to Fauci during COVID and... And that's a pretty big gripe. I I agree with you 100%. It's pretty remarkable and and good catch on that wasn't COVID. It was the government that did it. I I normally make that point. But to be honest with you, AJ, I've been traveling and I haven't been sleeping. So I'm glad glad you caught me on that because we we wouldn't want to let that go uh, (laughs) on the show. You know, it's pretty remarkable to think that we live in the United States of America and we cannot stock our own shelves that we have. (laughs) There's been a shortage of baby formula, a shortage of children's Tylenol, a shortage of eggs, a shortage of basic goods that even just a few years ago, it would be, uh, you wouldn't believe someone telling us that, you know, we, 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 these wouldn't be on the shelves or you couldn't get a hold of them. Right. And, you know, how many times did President Trump, even before he became president, even before he ran for president, how many times did Donald J. Trump warn the nation that we needed to diversify our supply chain, that we needed to not be so reliant upon countries that hate us, whether it's China or Iran or any of our other enemies? And and instead, the nation ignored those warnings, uh, largely in in the name of political convenience and or making a quick buck. He got me to think differently on a lot of things, foreign policy, but also, you know, things like manufacturing and just bringing manufacturing back home. And we really saw that during COVID when, you know, China was threatening the United States to withhold antibiotics. Like, why are why are we reliant upon China for 80 to 90 percent of our antibiotics? Like, why are we reliant on an enemy for 80 to 90 percent of our antibiotics? I mean, I think that case right there is a case to move our, our manufacturing back home, or at least on important things that we need for the survival of the nation, the survival of people. 
Absolutely. And you know, why do we have sensitive military equipment being manufactured overseas? Again, not by our friends and allies, but by these countries that hate us. And, and it's such a shame that, that we have reversed so much of the progress that was made in the last administration in returning a lot of that uh, sensitive manufacturing and those sensitive supply chain items back to the United States. Now it's going, it's basically turned right back around and is being offshored yet again. It begs a question too, you know, why wouldn't we want to be energy independent? Why wouldn't we want to be uh, independent when it comes to manufacturing? You know, why don't we want to be an independent America first nation? And I, I think the answer is, at least if you're on the left, is, you know, they'd rather be part of this global cabal, right? You know, they, they care more about uh, being in bed with, you know, the World Economic Forum and Trudeau and all these other people than they do about their own citizens. Oh, oh come on now. Are you really suggesting we, we mine our own coal and, and pump our own oil and natural gas? Lisa, why do you hate the planet? Well, I actually don't care about the planet if we're being <laughs> I say this all the time on TV. I mean, look, I, I live in Florida, right? We've got the Everglades here. You have to, you know, take, we want clean air and clean water and stuff, but we know that's not what they care about. It's total BS would have virtually no impact on uh, the the climate. And, you know, we're, we're already reducing emissions by, you know, just things like natural gas and whatnot. So it's all bullshit. And we know that. And then especially when you consider the fact that when we stop drilling here, all that means is the drilling happens overseas and it's shipped here. So now we're burning more fuel just to ship it here. But on top of that, you also have to realize that so many of these countries overseas don't have the stringent environmental regulations we do when it comes to our energy production. So we're literally getting dirtier energy from overseas instead of getting cleaner energy here at home, like you just mentioned, Lisa, our abundant, our abundant natural gas resources. And so these people clearly do not care about the environment, as you already hinted at, because if they did, then they would be going after solutions that actually address the things that they claim to be uh, so worried about. I honestly think the next Republican nominee just needs to run on fixing the country and getting back to the basics. And we can have planes take off on time. We can have an economy that works. <laughs> Trains you not should, crash. Yeah, like you should be able to buy gas, you know, like just the basic bait, which is sad that, you know, this is the message for the country. But, you know, that's what it is. Have I missed anything? I, I probably have. <laughs> Is there anything important that, that we need to get into this conversation that I've missed in, in my questions to you? I think one of the big takeaways. Like, do we have enough time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, we'll be here another week, right? We This conversation could probably last longer than the dollar is the world's reserve currency, right? And anything very important that uh, people at home should know that I've missed, I guess we'll... Or maybe that's long too. <laughs> maybe this whole idea of, of the dollar as as the world's reserve currency, right? It's something that we've really just taken for granted for so long. And you know, the Biden administration has might have put the last nail in the coffin of the US dollar being the world's reserve currency. Now, why is that so important? Basically, because for 70 years, it has allowed us to export inflation. In other words, it has allowed the Fed to finance government deficits over the years without just creating all these massive price increases here at home because we found a bunch of foreigners who were willing to hold those dollars, whether they use them as their country's own currency or whether they use them as bank reserves, whatever the case may be. But Biden did two very terrible things. One was the worst inflation in 40 years. And all of a sudden, people are looking at the dollar and wondering, why am I holding something that just lost 15% of its value 
in, in a couple of years. This isn't a good store of wealth at all. This is ridiculous. But the other thing he did to Russia, which by the way, is something that we didn't even do to the Soviets during the Cold War, is Biden confiscated the bank reserves of the Russian Central Bank and the Russian people. And, and so by doing that, he sent a very clear message. The dollar is no longer apolitical, but rather the dollar is a weapon of war that we will wield as we see fit. And this is not to, you know, to justify Putin's actions or anything like that. So you know, if people want to call me a Putin lover, you know, have at it. I really don't care. This is still the truth. What Biden did was send a message that, hey, you know what? If you're a nation that disagrees with our pro-abortion stance, or maybe our stance on ESG, or uh, uh, you know some kind of like uh, diversity uh, measures where you need to have a certain percentage of of people of color or women in your workforce, you know, you name it, whatever the case may be, pick pick the the uh, liberal agenda item that a lot of countries around the world disagree with. What happens if the Biden administration decides to impose some kind of sanctions on you or confiscate your dollar reserves the way we just did with Russia. All of a sudden, the dollar is no longer stable. The dollar is no longer apolitical. And those were the things that made it the reserve currency of the world. And Biden has has taken that away. And so now we are seeing countries around the world abandon the dollar for international trade. They're abandoning the dollar for use as, as bank reserves. And what's going to happen is all of those dollars now have nowhere to go but back here. That means 70 years of trade deficits flooding back to America all at once. For perspective, that's 25% inflation overnight if it happens overnight. That's pretty terrifying. I mean, it, it just speaks to the larger uh, loss of stature we have seen with America standing in the world. It's all sad. EJ and Tony uh, with the Heritage Foundation, thanks so much for, for coming on the show and taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure, Lisa. I promise next time we talk, we'll find something happy to talk about. It yeah, won't I was gonna be say, all thanks doom and gloom. scaring the crap out of us, EJ. I'm going go, to go live your uh, hangover scenario from <laughs> you just explained. Thanks so much, EJ. Jay, appreciate it. My pleasure. And that was EJ and Tony with the Heritage Foundation. You know, a little depressing, but it, it's good to know what's going on and what's on the horizon as well. And look, you know, there's always hope. We've got an election coming up. We need to get the old crazy guy out of office. So I want to thank you guys at home for listening every Monday and Thursday, but you can listen throughout the week. Anywhere you get your podcasts, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, give us a rating. Love reading those. Love seeing that. I want to thank John Cassio, my producer, for putting the show together. Until next time. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels 
challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.